DNA test for pets. What do they really tell us? What can you tell your clients? And how do we address the questions we're receiving? This week, we've got an expert to answer all of your burning DNA questions. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And who would have thunk that we would be talking about DNA testing on the veterinary viewfinder. Now, it is true, we all took genetics back in college. I certainly took a lot of it at the University of Georgia, but at the time, it was pretty straightforward. We were doing a lot of work with Drosophila, and I really didn't see how Drosophila translated to a Chihuahua. But we are there today, my friends. There are a multitude of tests available on the marketplace. Your clients can simply click an internet website, be sent a kit, and then be perhaps quite confused. And this week we wanna talk about what's up with all of these genetic testing, where the future is, and we've got a very special guest to bring you the latest in information. But before we get into the DNA of this talk, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And today's guest is, you know, he's a great friend of mine. He is paving the way in the DNA industry right now as chief veterinary officer of Basepaws, an animal health genetics company. He has a background from Texas A&M, has worked in small animal practice, has a master's of public health. This guy is all over the place tracking down his passions of preventative medicine, genomics, and effective population communication. We are so excited to have Dr. Chris Menges with us today. Welcome. Oh, well, thank you. I am so glad to be here. Well, Chris, I want to just start because I know our Viewfinder family is probably as curious as anyone. How did a veterinarian end up in a DNA company? <laughs> well, you know that there is so many different routes that we can see throughout the veterinary industry. And DNA has this fantastic location where we have a convergence of a lot of really interesting different factors. We have the, uh, the, the passion about learning more about our pets, as well as the passion about keeping them healthier as we go along. And... And so that's kind of how I ended up in there. We saw lots of pets and uh, saw lots of pets in small animal practice and and wanted to be able to help keep them not only out from a preventative standpoint, but also asking better questions when they did come in. And so that really all, all with the convergence with the epidemiology and the Masters of Public Health really helped pull me towards that genomics area. Right. But walk me through the journey. So did you graduate from veterinary school, go out into private practice or industry and then discover this? passion for genetics and then go back. So tell me how that happened. All right. Well, you know, so I graduated from veterinary school and, you know, went straight into private practice. It, it was the traditional model. Um, it's it's kind of what I went to, to school for. Uh, ended up in practice and practiced uh, for a little bit of time, but felt that it really just wasn't quite for me. You know, I love I love the ability for us to look at a population. We have a very standardized population and, and taking a step back and looking at that viewpoint was really what I was wanting to do from a, a records um, and really a statistics standpoint. Um, so from there, I, I went and pursued a master's of public health. Uh, that, of course, is focused more not just on a singular treatment of a case, but how we look at the data from each case, how we ask questions appropriately so that we can pull out kind of quantitative answers that help us 
look not just at a singular treatment trend, but as an overall population health trend itself. Um, and from there, went and did a little bit of work um, surrounding rabies, West Nile, a lot of the zoonotic diseases that, that we worry about infecting people, um, but felt that there wasn't a whole lot of great work that was being done on the, or rather not great work, but a lot of great opportunity that was being done on this genomic side. We have an increasing ability to sequence and, and see more of the information from each pet and each sample. And being able to pair that with our surveys is just this huge treasure trove that was uh, something I couldn't ignore. Okay, so how did you get to Baseballs? Because this is a really exciting company. So tell us a little bit about the genesis of that relationship. Uh, well, that relationship was I'd just been watching the genomics industry for a while, uh, looking at where companies were, where they were where they were growing, uh, where they were growing and where they had been. And Basepause was at the time a company that was very new. We are still very new, of course, but we had a, a great geneticist, but not a veterinarian on staff who was really looking at how, really looking at the diseases, how to break them down from a veterinary side and an owner side, having that experience in the clinical practice to be able to make that survey. So I was able to reach out and talk to Kristen Worman, who is uh, one of our, our great business development people there, as well as uh, Anna Skaya, the CEO, and really start talking about where, where we can go because this information has the ability to really change how we do veterinary medicine in the clinics as well. Right. And Becky and I both, you know, have a relationship with baseball. So just full transparency, viewfinder family, we are both super excited about this space. And we're especially excited about uh, what baseballs is doing. So Chris, just jump in here real quick. Explain what baseballs does today. Okay. So today baseballs currently offers, we offer a single test that does both um, a breed relativity test and then a health marker test. Now the breed relativity test for cats is aimed at mixed breed cats. And so we take a mixed breed cat sample, do some DNA sequencing on there, uh, and then be able to compare that to our whole genome sequenced database of registered cats. Now these, we call them purebred cats. And of course, as we know, the definition of breed can change over time. But with cats, we're not really not sure exactly what the genetic definition of, of each of these breeds are as they are pretty young. So that's why we constantly build that database and refer back to that. And that allows us to take a mixed breed cat and figure out where where exactly kind of in in the family it, it helps lie so that we can learn more about uh, the history or tell a little bit more of a story about the cat with potentials for uh, you know personalities and disease risks and and other things that uh, can be found within the genetics themselves the other aspect that we do that's really interesting we're really excited for for the veterinary industry is the health marker report um, so we also do a panel that currently is doing about 39 different diseases, different markers of the uh, of common genetic diseases that can be found in cats. Now, these can be both purebred, found in both purebred and mixed animal cats or mixed breed cats. And that allows us to really help get start to pave that way of how we look at preventative medicine, whether it be hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or polycystic kidney disease. And then continually add more and more of those so that we get a good picture for each of our cats as they come into the clinic. So this is, I think, where the importance of this podcast came in, you know, to us today, because we are affiliated with Basepause. We love what Basepause is doing, but what they're doing and, and sort of that concept you just explained, I think is 
like you said, the important part to the veterinary industry that I think maybe there's not a ton of clarity about right now. So, you know, we have our clients come in and they say like, oh, is there a way to tell, you know, what my dog is? Or I think my cat's a Maine Coon, don't you? You know, because right. it's more than 12 <laughs> pounds, right? Or has ear tufts even more. <laughs> right, right. right? So... And guilty as charged, right? I'm not client shaming. Um, so I had a know. Norwegian snow kitty. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> I mean, like, right. I'm sure you did. So, you know, this is where I think it kind of gets interesting for us. Our clients walk in and they say, hey, have you heard of this genetic thing? Can I find out if my cat's a Maine Coon? And we don't really know how to navigate these answers. I think some of the old, or you know, I guess I should say some of the the, um, the first out of the industry kind of maybe didn't get a great reputation or there's a lot of variation in results. So I don't know that the veterinary industry really understands how these things work and how accurate they are and, and what they're really um, what they're really saying in terms of breed versus, you know, uh, isotope locations, right? Yeah. So, Chris, why should we trust you? <laughs> Other than you went to Texas A&M. Well, you know, I, I, I am an Aggie, so we cannot lie, <laughs> cheat or steal. Um, and so, but for, you know, for breed, it's it's very, it's such an interesting, with cats, it's such an interesting conundrum. You know, we, we have this kind of dichotomy between our dog breeds and our cat breeds. Dog breeds were very domesticated and then instantly, well, relatively instantly kind of diverged into these different functional areas. Um, cats, of course, kind of domesticated themselves. We'd still argue that they're not fully domesticated um, and that they, and they kind of gave themselves their own job. We didn't have to, from an evolutionary standpoint, create this functional physiologic niche for them to fill. Uh, so now as we, we come along, we see a lot of these cat breeds that are very new. Uh, the large majority of cat breeds are less than 75 years old. And it's really a function of being able to, to see people find those new physical aesthetics that we see in dogs, but we have not really seen in the cat breed industry at this time. Really what that means, kind of if we look at an overall standpoint, is that these breeds can't they're so young they haven't had an effect on the large-scale population but we do have some of our older breeds that do have some lineage in there that's why we really have to be able to take the breed section with a relatively grain of salt we in many ways from a genetic standpoint our purebreds at this point in time are basically unique mixed breeds that we have decided to keep around and so we're trying to find where our current unknown history you know, domestic short hair, domestic medium hairs match up to. Uh, like we mentioned, a lot of people get really caught up in the physical traits, the ear tufts of the Maine Coons. I have a Maine Coon because it has this ear tufts, which are really small percentages, actually, of the genetics. Uh, and that's what we find so interesting as we explain and, and really help people get to know their cats. Uh, of course, over time, we're learning more and more about each of these breeds. And so we're able to become more and more accurate. And we constantly update our reports so that we can tell our clients that, hey, you know, this is what we know now. That's the most important thing to really understand is that we are 10 years or so behind the dog world from a, a funding standpoint. And this is where we are now. This is what we're going to learn. And this is how we're really going to be able to change things. So, Chris, I totally understand that. And I think it's really important that we understand and communicate to our clients that this is an emerging science, especially in cats, that the breed definitions are 
are kind of ambiguous and poorly understood. Um, and that's fine. Okay. And so it's a little bit of fun and giggles in my opinion, right? So you can mm -hmm. determine how much of you know, your cat or even your dog. So I'm not going to get into those discussions, but let me ask you, I've got two questions. The first is when you're as, as base pause now, what are you saying? What do you think the accuracy is of these tests? And can you also speak to dogs? Like if, if my dog comes back and it says it's a hundred percent, all that, <laughs> you know, do I trust it? Well, you know, from the dog's standpoint, there are much more definitive markers um, that allow for a, a percentage breakdown. We think about dogs in a breed test standpoint of your dog is 25% Schnauzer or 25% Dachshund or, you know, 50% Great Dane, but with very kind of concrete percentages. Uh, what we're seeing now for, for base paws is we do, like say, relativity. So how close are you from a genetic standpoint to other things? Um, how close are you to our uh, Maine Coon cats, our Russian Blues? Because that closeness, we know that large majority of cats don't have purebred ancestors like we have in dogs. Dogs have a much more lineage-based breed system. Um, and so for cats, we have to do kind of a relativity. relativity. We're also starting to work on um, land race to help for geographic regions that cats can come from so that we the markers of, that we will have for those to be more of that lineage side, although they won't reflect a breed standpoint. Okay, so just to clarify for the mm -hmm. viewfinder family, dogs absolutely seems like it's pretty trustworthy. The science is is fairly advanced, and and there's a lot of reasons genetically uh, why you can trust that breed. Cats still a work in progress. Seems like there's you know been some drift, but primarily on physical characteristics. Fair. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. But now I want to get to the second part of this question, and this is where I want to turn the rest of the conversation to. The industry, the science is quickly progressing towards disease predictions, analytics, sort of giving you risk factors. This is where people are starting to freak out, okay? <laughs> because some of these <laughs> tests are coming back. And again, they're primarily limited to dogs at this point. And they're looking at it and going, oh my gosh, my dog has this crazy kidney disease. Let's put him down, right? So mm. Chris, this is where I want to take you now. How do we handle this? How do we interpret this? How do we communicate this? These entire disease predictions, the, you know, the genotypes versus phenotypes versus epigenetics, help us out. Sure thing. Well, I mean, there is a lot to take into account when you look at these disease predictors. Um, if we kind of break them down by the level of prediction, uh, the most concrete level of prediction are generally in our what we consider autosomal dominant diseases right. like polycystic kidney disease, diseases that we know that if they have one marker, this is a certainty. This disease is a certainty. And that conversation is really an important one to have with people if they do have something as drastic as one of, of those diseases. Most of our markers are risk-based ones. And so we'll kind of walk through the different types of conversations I would expect to have. Now with polycystic kidney disease or any disease where we have basically a certainty of diagnosis with that test, we will consider, you know, with that conversation, I would really have a talk about quality of life. Hey, you know, they're, they say, I want to put this cat down now, but this, this disease is a future thing. Um, you know, we, we know it's here. We know, we now know the symptoms that we can look at, that we can, talk to and um, that we can follow up with. Um, and so that allows us to have a more accurate picture of that time when that disease comes up. Um, and then, you know, with our 
our more risk-associated factors, again, it, it really allows us to have a better conversation about symptoms, a better conversation about how do we look for this cat when it's going to become in decline and what we can do from a message to help that out. So I think this is, you know, for me, the part where things get pretty exciting and and scary. And, you know, there's a lot of emotion, I think, just behind all of that. But, you know, I think there are a lot of clients out there. Um, so, for example, HCM, right, that are affected by HCM in a very traumatic way. Their cat passes very suddenly. They didn't know it was a thing. Um, and then they're seeking almost a reassurance in their next cat because they have this almost like post-traumatic event that they're they're really afraid of this disease coming and taking their new cat or their next cat or other cats in the household. So, you know, I think for some veterinarians, they might be thinking, I guess, about like, what's the liability there if we if we do this test and it says there's a thing or there's not a thing? Um, am I going to create a fear or am I going to create a comfort? And I think it's it is something that we have that's very powerful. Like you said, that we can um, turn the conversation sooner and talk about symptoms and, and know that we can get in front of things uh, faster from a scientific standpoint. But you know, how do you kind of emotionally navigate these conversations with clients? Well, you know, those emotions are, like you mentioned, there's really two different ways people will come at it. They're either concerned about what, you know, if the, if they had a cat that was previously lost to polycystic kidney disease or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, of course, we have a lot of HCM cats out there uh, with um, unknown mutations that have caused that risk or unknown causes. Um, and and so kind of from that or just a, a peace of mind standpoint. And the emotional conversation that really comes into play with particularly kind of our HCM cats is, you know, people are really in many ways relieved to know. Uh, we talk about the fear. We talk about the possible euthanasia. But the reality is we, we end up with people who are excited to know that they are um, able to help, able to monitor the situation or potentially even prevent a situation with, you know, uh, you know, the use of, you know, have a better use of drugs from a quality of life standpoint earlier to extend that quality of life in a very health, happy and healthy way. Okay. So Chris, again, and you're right. I mean, this is very difficult. Becky nailed it. It's an emotional issue. But here's where I think it's even more confusing. Um, we don't yet have a good grasp on many of these disease states that some of these companies are testing for. And are we either A, as you mentioned, creating false fear or false assurance, right? Because if it's a negative, people are going, oh, my dog's fine. His heart is perfect. And then the dog develops mitral insufficiency and they're like, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm so confused. Mm -hmm. And there's been a tremendous amount of criticism in the press, both for human and now emerging for veterinary uh, genetic testing. They're saying, look, the average consumer, the average pet parent just isn't equipped, educated, experienced enough to, to comprehend what the, these reports mean. 23andMe got shut down for nearly a year for this very reason. So help me understand, like, what is baseball is doing to make sure that we communicate more clearly, maybe don't give access to all the information, or at least not without, you know, the guidance of a veterinarian. Can you help me with that aspect of this dilemma? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we have, of course, some very clear information about each of the, the health markers that we test for. You know, there are a lot of markers that are out there that have been found to have an association on some way right, or another right. with something. 
And if we tested for all of those markers, not only would we, like you mentioned, really be throwing false associations out there or not false, but really we're still in that unknown area, kind of the preliminary association stages for a lot of these diseases. And so the ones that we test for, the ones that we communicate about have had a lot of great science behind them that have been very causative. We've moved from that association stage into that causation stage or into that risk stage that are very clearly proven so that we're able to communicate in a nice, clear, and concise manner. Um, as we get more and more literature and more and more research that goes on about different diseases, we'll be able to add more and more. But just throwing all of the information at everyone creates, creates a chaotic situation, creates right. a, a situation that we can't talk in an appropriate manner as a professional um, or you know, really even help a consumer understand what potentially is going on with their animal. Okay, so I do want to now slightly pivot because I want to talk about some of the future trends that we're seeing emerge on the human side and what you think is going to happen in the veterinary space. So right now, agreed, you know, we have breed assessments. Uh, it's for fun and giggles. You know, it may help you with some disease predilections, but, you know, honestly, there's, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, I would say there's a lot of ambiguity still, okay? The second yes. thing is the d disease pr prediction element. Just coming online, still a lot of questions. There are some very clear genetic markers with a clear causality. You mentioned, you know, polycystic kidney disease and so forth. There's several heart diseases and, and autoimmune diseases and so forth. So we've got a handful that we can, I think, confidently say this, if your dog or cat has this gene, boom, we got to really do something. We got to watch out. We got to prepare, blah, blah, blah. But then there's hundreds, if not thousands, as you mentioned, that we don't know what to do with. What's coming next from, from my conversations, you know, with out in San Francisco with, with the biotech crews that I run with, and you do as well, is we're trying to get down to this, as they say, the instant assessment stage, which is where you could go in and start to have very specific genetic targets on a virus, for example, or a bacteria, looking at antibiotic resistance, looking at, you know, uh, inflammatory states within your body, kidney failure, right? I mean, explain to, to our audience kind of what's on the, the precipice of coming. Well, that, you know, if we are able to pull into this new world of sequencing. Um, previously, sequencing has been able has been this very kind of expensive process. If we think about when the very first whole genome for a human was sequenced, the cost was astronomical, truly astronomical, um, hundreds upon hundreds upon millions of dollars and years upon decades of research of from people throughout the world. And if you want your whole genome sequenced today, it's $700. Right. You know, and they're, they'll, they'll turn around and tell you in three weeks. You know, this is a very, very quick changing process. I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard of Moore's Law where we see the computer, basically the um, ability of a computer to double within two years. Uh, we have surpassed that in the genetic industry right. by tenfold. Um, this is an, and so this new sequencing realm allows us to take a peek at all these different areas that we didn't think about even having before. What about um, bladder in the urine? What about, right. um, you know, like you mentioned, any any part of viral in, in the blood or on the skin? Uh, and uh, just that, you know, from a future standpoint, being able to tell if you are 
a good metabolizer of a certain drug. Our cardiac drug, chemo drugs. I mean, listen, guys, this is this is happening right now in the research labs all over Silicon Valley. Uh, my good friend who's been a guest on this show, Stephen Kotler's new book just dropped this week. This is the week of January 29th that we're recording this. It's called The Future is Faster Than You Think, and he goes into this in detail. <laughs> so, so check out Stephen's book, you know, and if you haven't listened to that podcast, go listen to it because it will blow your mind. But anyway, just wanted to jump in there. It's really happening, folks. I mean, we are already seen uh, this, like you mentioned, this in schizophrenia drugs in humans as well. And with a standardized population like dogs and cats, uh, we're so excited to be able to help this work and, and push that forward to allow it to be in the clinic itself. So I think I guess to that point is number one, you know, these updates are, are incredibly important. The, the science is changing incredibly quickly. But I guess my question to you is like, at what point or are we already there that we should be recommending this to our clients? Like, at what point is this going to be something that we say, hey, brand new kitten, brand new puppy, we're going to want to collect this data. It's going to update as your dog ages or your cat ages and, and we learn more. Um, at what point should we be doing this prophylactically and getting in front of it on the veterinary side? I, I mean, the reality, my desire, of course, is to already be there. Right. Uh, you know, the right. <laughs> the for sure with any purebred, any registered cat, they need to be doing this. There is enough information about uh, diseases within each of those, as well as uh, the physical trait markers and the health markers that we need to be doing to, to make sure that we are helping promote healthy breeds. Uh, no matter what we do, cat breeds will always be a thing. Um, it's always going to be an important aspect of some of our clients' lives. And making sure that that happens as healthy as possible and as diverse as possible is something that we need to already be doing. Um, from a mixed breed cat standpoint, we are getting really close to that cusp. Being able to have a little bit more clinical information as we grow and have these more robust reports um, I believe probably in about the next five to 10 years, we should see a big pivot towards that in the wellness world. And again, I want to remind everybody that this is simply a code, the DNA sequencing of C, G, A, and T, it doesn't change. And so what I've always said is that this is a great reservoir of knowledge. And so if I have the kitten in front of me, the puppy in front of me, I go ahead and start that conversation because I view this as getting the code and in the future we unlock what it means. And so there are certain things we can tell today with, with near certainty, right? Certain breeds and maybe even a few diseases. But five years from now, I think the value of having that code, Chris, is going to be immeasurable. Now, am I off my rocker here or... Or is this really what's what's about to happen? Absolutely not. You're well. You're not off your rocker, <laughs> at least on this one. Um, so the, uh, but you know, we we at Baseballs we do everything by sequencing. Uh, like you mentioned, it is just the code. It is the code that we are harvesting. There are a couple different ways that you can look at things, and ours actually pulls all of that code. So we will pull areas that we don't know what they currently do. Um, we're excited to be able to do that and to be able to store that information so that as we learn more, we're able to go back and learn more about each of our samples. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out too, I, I know that I did an interview with one of the, the the leading newspapers here about six months ago. Chris, you know, there was a case about a lady who euthanized her dog after getting the results of one of these DNA tests back. And so I was doing, you know, getting called in for, for my opinion on this. Um, 
And I, I kept stressing the fact that, okay, look, this was a tragedy. I think there's certainly some uh, provisions we could take, uh, some steps that should have been implemented to prevent this person from having access to that particular aspect of the report. But at the end of the day, I said, look, I am completely optimistic because this is a code that we build upon. And the more cats that are tested, that we have their full genome sequence, like Baseballs is doing, the more science can now come back and draw on that. Now, one of the reporters said, well, what about privacy? And I respect that. I will slightly argue that the, the privacy concerns that I have for my dog or cat are much different than I have for my two daughters and myself. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm open to discussion with anyone about that, but I do believe fundamentally there are some significant differences. My dogs have yet to be employed. They don't have a credit card. I mean, you know, they don't get social security <laughs> the last time I checked. So, you know, there's a lot of that kind of fun and giggle stuff, but the reality is I, I think that it is more powerful. The reason I've had all of my pets sequenced is because I think that this holds promise for the future. And I kind of want to be a part of it. My wife and I had our own genome sequence. And of course, all of our family since then in 2006, when 23andMe first became publicly available back then, Chris, it was a little over a thousand dollars, but we did this because my wife is what they call a double adoptee. So that means she was adopted. And from her birth records, her mother was reported to be adopted. So we had complete black holes and, you know, we didn't know what was going on medically. So as soon as these tests became available, we did them. Um, and what's interesting is even though they sequenced our DNA in 2006, they've recently revised their technology. And Chris, I'm sure you're well aware of, of what's going on with some of these bigger companies. So they said, hey, listen, you're one of our original legacy, you know, founding type of, of members of this. Um, we would like to resample your DNA. They did it for almost nothing and said, if you would resubmit your saliva samples. And so again, Chris, I think Companies like Basepaws are really going to prove important in the future because, you know, as technology progresses, you're probably going to reach out to some of those older cats at some point and go, listen, we've got an even better type of testing modality now, and we'd like to, to resample your cat if you're up for it. Absolutely. You know, the uh, as, as you mentioned, part of with us being part of the future, being able to push forward with with particularly the disease states and that knowledge about the disease states, we we are able to where we're looking to be able to pull enough samples to really start to look at what's affecting our mixed breed cats, what's affecting our cats that we don't know the lineage of. Um, when we kind of when we bring these cats into the you know the large majority of cats we see either show up on the porch, come from the shelter, and we want to be able to help them for all of all of their entire lives and where they come from. Love that. Chris, as we wrap up our conversation with you today, because we could go on and on because you know what a geek I am about this. Uh, give us your elevator pitch. You're talking to a vet. You're across from me in the elevator and you want me to start recommending these tests for all the cats and kittens in my practice. Go. You know, Basepaws is a company that really helps with our testing. Learn more about the sequencing. We learn more about the unknown with each and every sample that we're able to take and each survey that we're able to get back. Now, this unknown, the more that we learn about, the more we're able to communicate so that you in your practice will be able to more effectively treat diseases, more effectively treat cats, and more and know which drugs you'll be able to, which drugs you should be able to choose for each specific cat as we go on throughout this um, clinical world. Wow, it's about preserving health, extending longevity, and enhancing quality of life. I think I've said that a few million times in my life, but it's so true. Chris, where can they go to learn more about what you're doing at Basepaws? All right, you just head to our website. It's very simple. It's basepaws.com. Dr. Chris Menges, DVM, 
epidemiologist, genomics expert from BasePause. It has been a true, true pleasure talking with you today. I think this has gotten a lot of people's minds expanded, but people just be aware this stuff is here. We're going to have to deal with this even more. We're going to have more and more questions. Chris, thanks so much for sharing some tips and advice for, for us. Viewfinders, what do you think about this? What do you think about genetic testing in general? Are you recommending it to your pet patients? If so, why? If not, why not? We want to hear from you. That's right. You can find us on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder, on Instagram at Vet Viewfinder, and make sure you click to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Until next time, go out and have your own DNA sequence for crying out loud. Bye. 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 <laughs> know any DNA jokes, Chris? Uh, oh, good DNA jokes. No, I do not. What does the C say to G-A-N-T? Is that a cat you're looking at? <laughs> don't know. Just <laughs> Becky, I'm trying. I got nothing. I, I couldn't got even force a smile. <laughs> that's our favorite thing. That's our that's what we do. That's how we roll. <laughs> yep.